Hey guys, it's Lavetta and Miriam. And this is Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Yes. I am, I don't care what you say, Miriam. I am a professional. Mm. And just because uh-huh. I forgot to hit record yeah. Yeah. Do before you want me starting. To, do you want me to remind you how to spell the word? I can. <laughs> <laughs> we kid, we kid. She could do yeah, that yeah. to me. I deserve she's it. Very, because... very smart, which is why it's so funny. <laughs> <sighs> sometimes, sometimes, I swear. I. Uh, but hey, guys, and again, welcome to another episode of our fabulous comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Season um, three. Season three. Can you believe I know, it? Right? Season three. No, is, I can't actually. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I think we should get started. And Sounds my good. dear, I believe you are first this week. So who? It you. Okay. You're, who's your <laughs> notorious woman that you're going to tell me about this week? Okay. So let me preface. Um, have you been to the Broad Museum? Preface meeting. Let me ask you a question. Absolutely. Have you been to the Broad? Yes, okay. I, have. I love it. It's, listen, I've never gone. Um, because I have children. Okay. Listen, LACMA does this thing where you get like a family membership for free if you have children. It's a whole thing. So we always go to LACMA. So oh, I'm, really? Yeah. yeah like I'm that. cultured. Yeah. It's really oh. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as I have to, so my poor children have to go to the art museum all the time. But the Broad turns out is actually free. I guess I could have been going there too. <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, it's like, it's like a certain brand of almond milk, right? <laughs> you, I just right. Get, get the same brand because it, it's yeah. there. It's tasty, you know. Yeah. Um. So, I, but good friends of ours was like, hey, do you want to go with us to the Broad? We have tickets that these tickets were actually free. You just have to sign up for them uh, to go see. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say her name. This is the name of the person. Yayoi Kusama, her special exhibit. And we Ooh. were like, kids were with grandma. So we were like, yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? I don't ask questions. I just go. Um, and while we were there, I was very, very inspired. And so today I'm going to talk about the life of Yayoi Kusama. Ooh, I like this. She's fascinating. So yes. she was born on March 22nd, 1929. In Matsumo, Nagano, so in Japan. Her family, uh, they were merchants. They owned a plant nursery and a seed farm. Now, she was artistic from a very early age, and her mother was not at all supportive of this. And so she she tells about how she would have to finish her art very quickly so, uh, so her mother wouldn't take it away. Uh, and her mother was also physically abusive. Aww, her father... Yeah, she her childhood is is not cool. It's not cool. Oh. Uh, she remembers her father as quote. I think this is a quote from her from her, the type who would play around, who would womanize a lot. Mm. So, so here's what happened in her childhood: her mother would send her to spy on her father's affairs. Don't do that to your children. Listen. That's some bullshit parenting, okay? 
That's not parenting. No, don't. Your children should not be brought into your like interpersonal relationships with your partner. Mm-mm. Nope. Daddy loves yeah. you. Yeah, he's made it. some mistakes. That doesn't have to do with you. Move it along. Yeah, exactly. So unsurprisingly, this played a pretty big role in her lifelong contempt for in sexuality in general. She says, quote, I don't like sex. I had an obsession with sex. When I was a child, my father had lovers and I experienced seeing him. Oof. Um, she says, Ew. yeah, off. Like, Ew. I'm just listen. The fact that this woman overcame that in itself. Amazing. Can you imagine how confusing that is, too, when you're uh, a little kid and you're just like, what is why is dad's yeah. face like that? And like, who's that woman? That's not mom. Like, oh, gross. Burn your brain, you know. Um, so it's pretty terrible. So she was 10. She started to experience vivid hallucinations, which she's described as flashes of light, auras and dense fields of dots, which inspired her to uh, to utilize those sort of visions, those hallucinations in her art. Um, when she was 13, I didn't know this was a thing. She was sent to work in a military factory because remember, she was born in 1929. So now World yeah. War II. Yep. And she made parachutes for the Japanese army. Wow. At 13. You guys. Come on. Wow. So she talks about how she spends she spent her adolescence in closed darkness. She's in a mm. factory. And yeah. she could hear the bombs and air raid alerts going off. It's I have, I have opinions about how she was raised. And my opinions are correct. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so she did. She went to high school and then she went to go to study painting. N- Nihanga painting. I don't. It's a style of painting. I, I'm not an artist, full disclosure. Um, at the Kyoto Municipal School of Arts and Crafts in 1948. She kind of quickly got frustrated with this is like very distinctly Japanese style. And she became more interested in like European and American avant-garde type of art. And she staged several solo exhibitions of her paintings in Matsumoto and Tokyo in the 1950s. Wait a minute. So she grew up with this traumatic childhood of yeah. her parents' issues. Mm-hmm. And then she started college Three years after the end of World War Two, yeah, I think that she was about eighteen. So she was like, what is "I feel like that." Wow. Yeah, 18, and then 19. she was working at a, a factory when she was thirteen. So wow. Can Can you imagine? I mean, ima- I mean, knowing what lot. we know about this time, three years at, in Japan, like yeah. the idea that the world continued, that colleges were there, that high schools were running. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, the bombs were was Nagasaki and um, Hiroshima. Hiroshima. So, yeah. so she's in Kyoto. So, I mean, but still, like all of the I, chaos J- and destruction Japan is small. It's small. it is very small. Yes, it is. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was just. Thought no, that was but curious. it's it's a it's a good and it's interesting how like there, there was a, there was art school. Yeah. Like because war, you for, you, you know, it's 
there's quotes like it's the obliteration of art and whatever, you know, sort of the opposite of creation. It's destruction. Yeah. So, but, you know, I sounded like a paper I probably wrote in college. I know. But still, <laughs> I probably got a solid B on it. Um, so she was using watercolor, oil paint, primarily on paper. And then she began covering surfaces. So walls, floors, canvases. Later, she was doing, okay, household objects. And then later, she was doing, uh, doing, let me rephrase, she was utilizing naked assistants. Yes. So she would have assistants, and they were naked, and she would sort of paint on them. Um, and she, polka dots became very much a trademark of her work. Uh, she mm. called them infinity nets. Uh, and she connects them directly to her hallucinations she had as a child. Um, so she lived in Tokyo. And then the, when I was doing my research, it says after she lived in Tokyo and France. So I s assume she went to France for a time. She then left Japan at the age of 27 for the United States. So this is like the 50s, right? Mid 50s. She had stated that she she started considering Japanese society, quote, too small, too servile, too feudalistic, and too scornful of women. Mm. Okay. But, you know, one could argue that about the United States right about now. So yes, I'll accept that too small stuff because uh, this country is huge. Yeah. that And the, the, the truth in, is in America, if you look at the entire country— you do have options, you know, <laughs> you do have a lot of options. You can at least move around to a different state. Yeah. Right. So she first moved to Seattle. She had a gallery show there. And then she moved to New York City uh, following a correspondence with Georgia O'Keeffe, who encouraged her to, to do that. So she quickly established her reputation as a leader in the avant-garde movement and received praise for her work from the anarchist art critic, Herbert Reed. I just love that there is an anarchist art critic. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you're at a party. Oh, what do you do? I'm an anarchist art critic. <laughs> like, I want to have a conversation with that dude. Like, yeah, me too. You know, yeah. Uh, in the early 1960s, she began to create like she called them soft sculptures. So she'd cover items like ladders, shoes, chairs with white phallic protrusions. Now, what I just said is why oh. I went to school to learn how to speak, because that's what theater school is. Um, white phallic protrusions. So dicks? Dicks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Big dicks, little dicks, all the little, all the possible dicks. <laughs> I bet you some were carved, some were smaller than others that were like maybe a little too big. You know, I think there oh, were dick options. My God. Options of dick. What did I she call her. them? Phallic. Pro what, what was it called? White again? phallic protrusions. Why they all got to be white, huh? Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. y'all. Yeah, why they all got to be white? I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Heard. Heard. Okay. All right. So she and she not only she did them, they were very intricate and she did them very fast. Uh, and she established a rhythm of productivity, which P.S. she still maintains. She is in her 90s 
continuing to be a badass. Okay. I'm, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Don't be. Don't be Sounds sorry. Sounds like she's manufacturing dildos. Is that yes. what she's saying? Okay. Yes, okay. but as Just... art. Okay. okay. You know what it is? Because they traumatized her as a child. She's taken yeah. this shit back. Yeah. She's taken it back. She is processing it, and she's like, "You want me to see dicks? Here's a whole bunch of other dicks. I made Good them for her. Good yes. for her. Yeah, I'm proud of her. Um, she also um liked having herself routinely photographed with her new with like new work that she made, and she regularly appeared in public wearing her signature bob wigs and colorful avant garde fashions. So, here, here, here is what won't surprise anybody. Okay, so she's a Japanese woman in the 60s. In June 1963, one of her pieces, well, which was a, a couch covered with phallus-like protrusions, <clears throat> yes, dicks, um, that she had sewn, and it was exhibited at the Green Gallery. So it's New York City. So other artists were exhibited with her, but her piece was the one everyone was talking about. Another artist, Oldenburg, by September, he had had a piece there, too, but it was not as uh, people didn't find it as interesting. Uh, he now exhibited sewn soft sculpture, just like she had uh, some pieces that were just like her pieces, um, so much so that his wife apologized to her at the exhibit. Mm. The argument is that he was just so inspired. Point is, he got very famous and then got lots of money and she did not of course he uh, did was it a white dude Super you know what? like idea. i didn't look it up but like yeah probably i mean yeah <laughs> uh she became very depressed over this similarly i'm gonna say this is alleged because i don't want to get in trouble same thing happened with andy warhol another time i'm going to use the word alleged uh, she did a soft sculpture with a boat. So the boat was completely covering a wall. And then Andy did the same thing with a cow. And I think I've seen the cow. So I think I know mm. what they're talking about. Yeah. Um. So she was becoming very secretive about her studio work. As she should. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So Helene Posner of the Newberger Museum of Art said it was likely some combination of racism and sexism that kept her, who was creating work of equal importance to men who were using her ideas and taking the credit for them, from getting the same kinds of backing. So she was doing all of this stuff, and people were very impressed, but she wasn't able to make any money. Oh. Uh, does that feel the... like a story? And just for our listeners who, because this is a podcast. <laughs> it uh, is. Basically, it's like, imagine like a shag carpet but with really large, the the individual like, uh, or not even shag. You you know those mops that you see with like the soft uh, bristles yes. that look kind of like uh, cotton balls almost. It's kind of like that. But she obviously they're larger and plumper, <laughs> uh, yeah. and she fashioned mm. them into like chairs and other types of objects. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite it's quite remarkable. It looks actually quite comfortable. Um, and then if you see the Andy Warhol one, you're like, oh yeah, that motherfucker just took her idea. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Uh -huh. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Um. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. no, no, no. Um. Yeah. I mean, look her up. She's she's also all over the internet too. But like, go 
Okay. So I'm going to keep talking because like I, I will say like I saw some of the stuff in person and it's incredible. So if you can go to there. Um, she started, she can, she had a series of mirror infinity rooms, which is what I went to go see, um, in these, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to describe it. So they're, they're purposely built rooms. There's mirrored glass that contains like neon colored balls and they, they're at various, they're at various heights. And I will say that if you are on the shorter side, you won't even notice, but if you're like a bit taller, you know, you'll notice. Now, as a short person in the world, I appreciated being the one who didn't have to adjust for the rest of the world for like a moment, you know, <laughs> because usually I can't reach it. Usually it's like too high and some like man has to be like, oh, let me get it done for you, little lady. And, I, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Thank you. But also it's nice. It's nice. Like, I, no, nothing hit me in the head, you know. <laughs> um so what it is is you stand uh, like on a platform and like a door is closed and then everywhere around you is like a complex mirrors that have like these glass bulbs and i can't really describe it there are pictures everywhere it's so cool it felt it felt like you went on a roller coaster and you're in it for like less than a minute but it really does feel like you've been somewhere and that you just landed. It's cool. Wow. Wow. That sounds amazing. I have to yeah, go and see it. Is it still there? Yeah, the it's still there. Exhibit? I just okay. went last week. I was very inspired. Wow. Like, obviously. <laughs> um, so the following years, she was, she was very productive. She was doing uh, a lot of different types of those rooms. She was experimenting with Different kind of lights, different kind of mirrors, maybe some music in some of them. But um, she still wasn't really able to make, you know, that money. Okay. So um, at some around, like, I think, the late 60s, she was hospitalized a, a kind of on a regular basis from overwork. Georgia O'Keefe persuaded her own dealer, Edith Herbert, to purchase several works to help her stave off financial hardship. But she was always very depressed that she could not make the money that she believed she deserved. She was correct. Um, yeah, and at that that time, she attempted suicide. So. Oh, um, but I know it's it's so sad. Uh, she also in the 60s, but she she didn't and she was OK. She organized outlandish happenings in Central Park and the Brooklyn Bridge. Do you remember what happenings are were? No. So, like, okay, if you learn about, like, the hippies in the 60s, they would create these, like, happenings. I'm kind of the worst person to describe it. I don't even know. And I was, like, born after this happened. But I just, it was like, yeah, it's a happening. And, like, lots of people would go. And usually it was, like, a demonstration, like, against the Vietnam War. But it was designed to be peaceful. So people just sort of get together, like hang out, maybe show, do a little performative art, yeah, music, smoke a little weed or dope, as they called weed. it back then. <laughs> yes. Hang out. Okay. Gotcha. Um, hers involved nudity. Um, get it, girl. Do you. So and in one, she wrote an open letter to Richard Nixon offering to have sex with him if he would stop the Vietnam War. 
I okay. gotta love the '60s. You know, you know, it's a lot of drugs. There were a lot, a lot of, of drugs. drugs. Yeah. A lot of drugs and free love, baby. Free yeah. Love. She's like, maybe if you wanted to touch me and then we could stop this bullshit. You know? Um, so between 1967 and 1969, she concentrated on performances held with the maximum publicity. So usually involving her painting polka dots on her naked performers, as in the grand orgy to awaken the dead at the MoMA in 1969. Okay, Mama. Yes. What what was it called again? I'll say it again. Grand Orgy to Awaken the Dead oh. at the MoMA. All righty then. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. yes. That okay. is how you title a piece of art, is what yeah, I'm saying. Baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this took place at the Sculpture Garden at MoMA, this Museum of Modern Art. It's in New York. Um and then in 1968, she presided over the happening, as another happening, called Homosexual Wedding at the Church of Self-Obliteration at 33 Walker Street in New York and performed alongside Fleetwood Mac and Country Joe and the Fish at the Fillmore East in New York City. Okay. So many words. Uh, Walker. I know. Fish Joe eats uh, Fleetwood Mac. A lot of stuff. I just want to. I just want to like go back. I don't certainly don't want to go back to that time forever. But I just like to go live there for a week. Go you know, I wouldn't mind. Happening. I wouldn't mind yeah. going back to be with those people with that mindset. But I, I'm going to need yes. them to use a little bit more soap. I'm just going to need a little bit more body wash. But the people are cool. <laughs> Yeah, but like maybe you could like, you could like give them each like some body wash, right? Yeah. And be like, you yeah. know what's so cool? Cleanliness. Is Travel back in man. time uh, <laughs> and give people just hand out bars of soap. Yeah. Or body wash bottles. Of I body think wash. body wash will get the job done quicker because yeah. you could like hose them down and be like, it's part of the art. We're yep. getting naked and we're hosing ourselves down. Yep. And then we're going to pour this soap all over our bodies. Yes. Yay. Okay, that's how you do it. <laughs> um, she opened naked painting studios and a gay social club called the Kusama Omophile Company, which was K-O-K. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's, right? I like it too. So she's doing all this stuff. The same time, all the stuff that she is doing is very shameful to her family. Because remember, we're only 20 years out of World War II. Her high school removed her name from its list of alumni. Oh, my God. Right? Fucking dicks. people. I know. Um, And at this point, unfortunately, she tried again to attempt suicide. Oh, no. Yeah, it's it, but she it did not succeed. Thank God, she got a you know a better better enough, and she continued to be prolific. So many pieces of art, so little time. I'm gonna talk a little bit about some other pieces of art too. Listen, I, we would be here for seven hours if I wanted mm. to go through all of her art. It's too much, but I like this one. This was I thought worth mentioning. Uh, 1966, her something called Walking. Peace 
peace as in P-I-E-C-E, a performance that was documented in a series of 18 color slides. She walked along the streets of New York City in a traditional Japanese kimono while holding a parasol. So the kimono suggested traditional roles for women in, in Japanese custom. The parasol, however, it was made to look inauthentic as it was actually a black umbrella painted white on the exterior and decorated with fake flowers. She walked down unoccupied streets in an unknown quest. She then turned and cried without reason and eventually walked away and vanished from view. So this performance through the use of the kimono involved the stereotypes that Asian American women continued to face. So that was her, her purpose. Um, so as an avant-garde artist living in New York, her situation altered the context of the dress, creating a cross-cultural amalgamation. So this allowed her to, to highlight the stereotype in which her white American audiences categorized her by showing the absurdity of culturally categorizing people in the world's largest melting pot. I love her. She would be our best friend. I'm just saying. Yeah, she's uh, she's too cool for me. I just yeah. say that much. Like, if the hair doesn't she, do yeah. it, like, the polka dots don't do it, this, Mm-mm. I'm like, that is deep, girl. Right? And very creative. Wow. It's, wow. It, it, she really is genius. Like, she really is next-level genius. So around this time in New York, she had a brief relationship with the artist Donald Judd, and then she began a passionate platonic relationship with the surrealist artist Joseph Cornell. So he was 26 years older, but, I, but it was platonic. They would talk every day, they sketched each other, and he would send her personalized collages. Uh, and that's, they stayed like that till he died in 1972. So in 1973, she returned to Japan. Japan was still not quite ready for her. They called her a scandal queen. Um, but she, you know, it says she was in ill health, which I think was in regards to her mental health. However, she continued to work and she wrote poems and novels and short stories. Again, like if I went through everything she has done, we'll, you know, we'll never, we'll never leave. We'll never leave. So she unfortunately tried one more time to commit suicide around this time. Um, But in 1977, she found a doctor who was using art therapy to treat mental illness in a hospital setting. She checked herself in and eventually took up permanent residence. She's still there. She still lives there. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, though? Um, Good for her. I know, right? Good for her. Like, listen, this world is hard. Find your niche. Find where it works for you. I think that's so inspirational. Yep. Yep. Um, she has a studio. She can walk there. She walks there every day to do her work. And she says, quote, if it were not for art, I would have killed myself a long time ago, which is it's very sad, but it also speaks to how powerful art yeah. can be. Absolutely. Wow. You know? She's still living there. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I could go on for days. I won't. You're welcome. But um, th- this is funny. So she, she, in January 2020, the Hirschhorn announced, it's a museum, announced it would debut new Kusama acquisitions, including two Infinity Mirror Rooms, at a forthcoming exhibition called One with Eternity, Yayo Kusama in the Hirshhorn Collection. Well, the name of the exhibit of the exhibit is derived from an open letter she wrote to President Richard Nixon in 1968. Quote, let's forget ourselves, dearest Richard, and become one with the absolute, all together in the altogether. I mean, come on. That's brilliant. 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 Um, I have a question. Yeah. Because I looked up, I just looked up one of her pieces that she produced in 2014. It's uh-huh. sold to a, a phone bidder for $62 million. So $7.9 million. Damn. So I hope that yeah. she is no longer struggling it financially. Is, so She is not. Like it, it is kind of um, it's a it's a tough story. Her life story is, a, I'd say, a tough story. But it's 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 you know the the movie you would watch at the end, or you'd feel really good. You'd go you'd go through it, right? But she does. She does. She did some films. I'm not. You know, we don't have all day, but she did a fair amount. Um, in 1968, she had established. She, she still does it. Uh, the Kusama Fashion Company Limited, selling avant-garde fashion. She wore a lot of it. That's where I know that name yeah. from. Okay, yeah. okay. It's Mark from Jacob, the fashion. Louis Vuitton. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh-huh. I see. I yeah, see you. She... you, queen. I see you, queen. <laughs> Listen, this girl rose above. And when she started, when she went back to Japan, she kind of had to start over. Like, at least she felt that way. But... You know, uh, people in New York also decided to like revive her a little bit, and and she started. She became much more of a an international success. She, I mean, listen, it's a story of just keep going, just keep doing your thing. It's really inspirational. It is, but Um, it is a hard path. It's also a testament to like. Going your own way when, you know, you know, you're like, I know I can, I'm good at this. I may not be the best, yeah. but I'm good at this. I should be able to make my money and, you know, live yep. my life. And and that's not what society or the reality of what you're living shows you until unless you keep going, you know. so Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, she fought the good fight to keep going. But she did it. She did it. She's still there. She's still She's in her still 90s, there? still making art. Like, I love her so much. And apparently, uh, Snap has partnered with Louis Vuitton and J- and Yayo. Excuse me about the dog. So sorry. Of course, as soon as I get on, they start barking. Uh, with her and Louis Vuitton to bring a collection about the augmented reality on Snapchat. So that is amazing. But can since you mentioned dogs, can I also add to that? In two thousand nine. She designed a handbag-shaped cell phone entitled, ready, 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. handbag for space travel, my doggy ring ring. It is a pink dotted phone in an accompanying accompanying dog-shaped holder. 
Oh I really want to so be best cute. friends with her. Not, I think we might yes. have to go to Japan. Okay. Hey, you know, I'm always down to go to Japan. Like, I know that. Yes. It's one of my favorite countries. Yes. Let's do it. Let's go to Let's... Japan and interview her. You're in charge. You speak Japanese. Don't. Not that good. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. Can I just <laughs> tell you? Listen. I hear you. Oh, my God. If you ever get a chance, go to Japan. Okay. It's wonderful. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. She's incredible. I love her. I love her. Yayoi Kusama. Yes. I love, love, love her. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, And while I love her... Oh, you're not going to love the my notorious woman this week. Big surprise. Mm-hmm. There. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know me. You know Shocker me. Of shocks. I do. You know He's how mad. I roll. You know how I roll. So Lord. we are coming from back from Japan. One of my favorite countries. Okay. Again, visited yeah. again. Back to the United States of America, baby. Okay. Okay. America. Okay. Okay. Uh, to an American woman uh, by the name of Nancy Brophy. Uh, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but uh, yeah, it may be. Okay. So Nancy Brophy was born Nancy Crampton on June 16th, 1950 in Wichita Falls, Texas to two lawyers. So from a, you know, probably middle-class, upper middle-class family, depending on what kind of law they practiced. Um, so not a lot is known by her uh, about her early years, but we do know that she graduated from the University of Texas. Um, and while in Texas and while in college, she actually began writing. She always was, you know, attracted to writing and she published one of her first, uh, articles while at college. Uh, so, um, so she graduated college in the seventies, but by the early nineties, she had moved to, um, she had moved to Oregon and then moved from Oregon to Portland. I'm sorry. She had moved from Texas and moved to Oregon. And she actually started attending. I don't know if she just started this just like on a fluke or just to have something extra to do. But she started uh, attending culinary classes, cooking classes at the Le Cordon Bleu College of Culinary Arts in Portland. Okay. I have and no this, idea where we're going with this. Go on. I'm. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm with you. Um, this is where she met her future husband, Daniel Brophy, who worked as an instructor there. Okay. Uh, they were close in age, but, uh, she was a little bit older than Daniel, but, um, you know, they started dating, you know, eventually got married. And like I said, when she was back at the, uh, university of Houston, she published her first work, which was a pamphlet entitled between your navel and your knees, which dealt with the changing, uh, morales of sexuality in the 1960s and the 70s okay so very like heady stuff i know yeah um i really hope she tells me what to do with my body go on (laughs) but from there she went on to publish even more articles mostly nonfiction, for trade journals and focused on technical writing for hr departments as a career path so you know it's not like creative writing which she really wanted to do um And again, according to uh, her author's bio on Amazon, her uh, true love in writing was storytelling. So fiction uh, and narrative stories. So even though she she wrote a novel pretty early on, 
um, she had said in her one of her um, in her bio that it stayed under her bed for a long time. You know, like okay. again, you gotta you gotta eat, right? Especially yeah, if you're yeah. the yeah, if you're the child of two lawyers, they're like, how are you gonna make money, right? So, mm, um, yeah. yeah. Now, in 2003, she joined a local chapter of Romance Writers of America. And then so she turned her focus to more narrative um, uh, endeavors and romance and suspense novels and novellas. So she started writing romance novels, suspense novels and novellas with the titles like so she had a series called The Wrong Lover, The Wrong Hero, The Wrong Husband. Okay. 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 So, yeah. So now we're sure. in uh <laughs> So we're in, you know, and this was like around uh 2003. So she's 53. Okay. okay. So again, her and Daniel had a pretty, you know, normal typical white suburban life, you know. Yeah. They they probably have college degrees, you know. He's a he's teaching at the school. Uh continuing. That's a pretty good job and by all accounts he loved his job. Okay. Uh, so, you know, pretty just, you know, regular existence. And she's finally like the, getting the into writing. The sitcom life. The sitcom yeah, life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, in one of her uh, uh, biographies online that featured her work, she did write uh, about being married to Daniel. Quote, married to a chef whose mantra is life is a science project. So as a result, there are chickens and turkeys in my backyard. A fabulous vegetable garden, which also grows tobacco for an insecticide and a hot meal on the table every night, end quote. Um, but which sounds very lovely, right? You're like, oh, that's a sure lovely kind of thing. Yeah. Um, some would say that this is life goals. Some people are like, I want to get back to the earth. Uh, I yeah. often fantasize about being married to a chef because. I, uh, yeah, same. And I'm married. What? No, yeah. not, not what I said. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> She goes on to say in that same uh, area about her work, quote, for those of you who have longed for this, let me caution you. The old adage is true. Be careful what you wish for. When the gods are truly angry, they grant us our wishes, end quote. Uh, say what? Uh, wait, what? I don't think uh, I could say that about my husband and and it be okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think yeah. you're like, what would you say about me? Excuse I, me? You said, yep. And then he me. would be right. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a dick. Sorry. Excuse me, what? Uh, so, uh, but, you know, again, everyone who's been married a long time would tell you that it's not all roses. It's hard. It's work. It's, you know, but okay. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all roses. <laughs> roses, I tell you. God damn it. Now, I need someone to give me some roses. Sorry, go on. <laughs> so for the next 15 years to about 2018, she's writing her books. Um, and by 2018, they had been together for 25 years. Okay. And settled into the, uh, suburbs. Daniel was 63 at the time. And then Nancy 68. Again, he continued to teach at the local culinary institute, um, in Portland where he was a respected teacher and she okay. continued to write her novels. Um, okay. and Daniel, again, was very well respected by his students who affectionately called him Chef Brophy. So they really liked uh-huh. him. He had a good reputation. Uh, and though they didn't have to, they didn't have children together. They seemed to get along um, with Daniel's son, uh, Nathaniel Stillwater from a previous relationship. So, 
Okay. Um, so her characterization seems a little off, but you know, again, marriage is not all roses. So, but yeah, but still, that's like an, a little, it's a little aggressive. It's, a you know, aggressive. like, uh, I feel like again, like if I had written that down, he would be like, the fuck? No. And I would be like, yeah. right. Mm. Yeah. So I'll erase she- that. Some I'll things you that. just shouldn't write or say yeah. when it comes Shut to your relationships. Mouth. But exactly. Um, now, again, by 2018, they're li- living a regular life. Um, now, it was later revealed that although her books were very, very popular, uh, and I will say this, I know this from personal experience. I had an uh, old roommate who uh, self-published online on Amazon as well. And there definitely is like a algorithm that has to be in your favor, but she made really good money. Uh, really, okay. really good money for a long time. Nice. But then I okay. heard maybe about five years ago that Amazon, it changed up their algorithm because so many self-published authors were actually making really good money. And they didn't uh, like that? I don't know if they didn't like it or they just, it's just something that Amazon does is that they change up the algorithm, but it, so I don't know whatever, uh, I lost touch with that friend, but again, for a good solid like year, she's making a lot of money, like a really great okay. money. I wouldn't uh, mind she, making really great money for a year. Yeah, really great money. Stash and it she away, did have you know. a um exactly, you gotta stash it away. And but she didn't have she she like Nancy also had like a series, because that's the deal. You can't just have one okay. book, you have to have multiple books. Right. So um now a court so around this time, this is 2018, Nancy's books were popular, was still popular, but they weren't big sellers. So money became tight for the couple. Because okay. I would imagine she left her traditional job to focus on writing. Yeah, and then yeah. if the same thing sort of happened to her that I'd heard happened to other self-publishing writers, then maybe the money was cut in half or just kind of yeah. dried up. And like, uh, so the two had began selling uh, Medicare insurance to generate some extra income. Uh, and Daniel even cashed in part of his retirement savings to pay off credit cards. So okay. not too unusual. This is not, yeah, especially after the, the crash and all this other stuff, people... Yeah. You know, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're older and you've worked so long to uh, cut down on your um, your costs, your overhead costs. And like, you know, but again, they're they're doing fine. Not great, but, you know, fine. Again, these are uh, they're middle aged at this point. So um, but on June 2nd, 2018, Daniel went to work as usual. And he uh, they think he arrived around 720 a.m. to start prepping for the day. But okay. less than an hour later, so less than, so let's say around eight, when students entered the kitchen, they discovered Daniel on the floor bleeding oh. from do, two gunshot wounds. What the fuck? They what called 911 and they tried Jesus. to desperately save him with CPR, but the bullet had pierced his spine and his heart. So he was pronounced dead. An autopsy later revealed that he had been shot once in the back and then a second time in the chest at close range while he was lying defenseless on the kitchen floor. Holy fuck. So a lot going on, right? Like just, and again, these people are in their 60s. So now he was loved by his students. So of course they were shocked. And there was a vigil shortly after outside of the, the school where he taught for decades and yeah. all of the students remembered how what an inspiring instructor he was. He had a good sense of humor. And they also credited him with having shaped their career. So everything a teacher's like wildest dreams come true, right? He was very well yeah. respected and he helped a lot of young people. 
And Nancy, too, was at the vigil. And she had said, uh, quote, at the vigil, Daniel was one of the few people I've ever known who did exactly what he wanted in life and loved doing it. He was a person who did what he loved. He loved teaching. He loved mushrooms. He loved his family, end quote. Okay. Um, so I'm not trusting was upset. her. Go on. <laughs> Well, you have good reason to, because the neighbors were like, ah, some smells fishy in the water, bitch. Because uh. according to them, her neighbors, some of her neighbors, they were like, she didn't seem that upset by her yeah. husband or her partner, 25 years being killed and murdered. Yeah. Um, She didn't. But what she did seem was eager. She didn't seem upset, but she seemed eager. Eager to apply for Daniel's $1.4 million life insurance policy. Oh, this bitch. Okay. Which she tried to access within days of his murder. Uh, She had asked the police for a letter to give to the insurance company that would confirm that she wasn't a suspect in his death to satisfy the policy details. Yeah, you heard it. 1.4 1.4 million dollars. Dollars. Okay. Okay. Of course, the, the police are like, well, you weren't a suspect, but you may be now because what the fuck? They refused. Yeah. And yeah. Good. Yeah. They became suspicious. But later on, they were like, yeah, some it's usually a spouse when someone dies, a spouse or partner. Uh, but when she called them, just bold faced and was like, I need a letter saying I'm not a suspect so I can get the $1.4 million. Hey, hey, yeah, my husband was killed a couple of days ago. Listen, I am, I need a favor. If you yeah. could just, wow. Yeah. Okay. So okay. imagine they're like, you. So they start digging into the background, the couple's yeah. background. They found out they were having some financial uh, worries. And Daniel had taken out about 35000 from his retirement account, oh, which was about half uh, to catch up on mortgage and credit card payments. So, yeah, ding, 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 ding. The red. I'm, yeah. 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 Pretty I have an idea. I could murder him and then get his life insurance. But I will say Done. this is. This is not something you would expect because when you when you see her and you hear her speak, she looks like she could be your teacher, just like a middle aged, like middle of the road. Yeah. Midwestern white lady. Plump, you know, just what you would think. What's what's in your head is what she looks like. So like your neighbor in the Midwest. Yeah. Who bakes you a casserole when you need one. I don't know. So investigators, they searched the home and they also searched her computers and they they discovered that she had bought a, quote, ghost gun, a firearm you build at home from a kit that is considered untraceable because it's made from different parts. And although it, it, it appeared that she did struggle to assemble it, they found another plan, possible plan, according to investors, uh, investors, investigators. She then bought a nine millimeter Glock pistol. Oh, it was the same type as the one that killed Daniel. Wow. But they should, they believed that she had replaced the slide and barrel with, uh, with one from another thing that she had bought online, which wouldn't match the murder weapon to kind of throw people. Listen, off. this Midwest like white lady, not only just like investigated and analyzed these possibilities, she invested. For someone who's got, you know, 60K in credit card debt, I'm just saying. 
But Miriam, mm-hmm. she she mm. has an explanation for this. Oh, please. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so she said that, yeah, you're right. I got the ghost gun, but I never built it. And uh, we do have a Glock, a nine millimeter Glock that we stored. Uh, but she said on the morning that Daniel was killed, she walked the dogs and had a shower. But the surveillance footage of her that showed her driving around in their mini minivan to the Institute and back. It, she's like, I don't know how I must have blacked out. I don't know how that happened. And so she said she must have forgotten due to the trauma of Daniel's death. So. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the trauma. Mm. but of that time I killed him. What? And also it's so funny. I watched uh, uh, her, a part of her testimony also, because obviously this went to trial and she said yeah. that all of this stuff, all of the, the searches and the guns was just for research for oh. her books. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I understand. That makes yeah. sense. I remember getting real swords when I had to do swordplay in Shakespeare productions. Well, you know I said, what? But what does a real sword feel like with an actual edge as I point it to a person? I must know. Miriam, mm. I think yeah. you are being unfair to Nancy, okay? Because I get it. Oh. She's right. I watched Murder, She Wrote. I've watched it several times, all of the episodes. <laughs> I've seen Jessica uh-huh. like run through the thing in her, her book uh-huh. she's writing, all right? But there's just one thing. There's one difference between her and Jessica Fletcher. What? What is it? Right. So apparently back in 2011, uh, uh-huh. Nancy wrote uh, an article called an essay called uh-huh. How to Murder Your Husband. What? No, stop it. She did it. She did. Oh, my God. She discusses how to commit an untraceable murder and consider the pros and cons of killing your spouse. And it said, quote, one of the things she said in this essay, quote, as a romantic sus- uh, suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure. Um, if the murder is supposed to be, if the murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. In the sense, deleted post, she added, the thing I know about murder is that every one of us has has it in him slash her when pushed far enough, end quote. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know what to do with what you just said. Wow. Yes. When pushed, meaning I want your money. That's how you were pushed. Like, yes, maybe life or death. You're about to fall off a cliff. You pull. Some- sure. No, this- no, girl. No, girl. Wow. So the the cops are like you. They're like, uh, okay, stop me that. So they <laughs> yeah. arrested her about yes. three months after Daniel's death, murder. Mm-hmm. She was arrested Correct. and arraigned on charges of murder and unlawful use of a gun. Okay. Now, it went to trial, of course. And basically, the prosecution said that she killed Daniel to get ownership of not only the $1.4 million in insurance money, but also their $300,000 house, which would be a nice house in other states besides California. Yeah. Uh, Listen, listen, didn't she read the essay that she wrote as to how to do this? Because she gave such good advice, I guess. Yep. Now, she said that uh, she's like, that's not true. I would have been better off if he were alive because we were uh, we could cash in more of his retirement and we were planning to downsize anyway. So we would sell off the house and have money to live off of. Um, And that, again, like I said, 
the ghost gun and all of that was researched for a new novel about a woman oh. writing a woman in a toxic relationship who was slowly buying gun parts. So that was all research. Um, she said that the Glock she had given to Daniel to protect himself while foraging. Cause you know, these mm. mid- Midwestern white people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they love a gun. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but again, the fact that she bought a Glock and Daniel was shot with a Glock, which mm. uh, police testified at the trial that he was most likely shot with a Glock pistol, the same brand uh, mm. of parts that she had purchased. So now her defense said it could have been a robbery gone wrong um, and that it was just a coincidence, a coinkydink that Ooh. Nancy was near the school that morning. Huh. Doesn't see here. Doesn't see here. Yeah. yeah. She was like going for a random drive she usually doesn't do ever. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Um, and so, you you know how she also said she had no memory of like driving around, even those surveillance uh-huh. cameras, she and a psychologist during the trial, uh, that was called by the defense, uh, said that she suffered from quote, retrograde amnesia from the oh. trauma of finding, of finding out her husband had been murdered. Yes. So me too. she just, forgot. every time I didn't do that thing I was supposed to do, it's because I have retrograde amnesia. So yeah. sorry. About so. That. But, you know, Mm. it's so interesting because, again, I watch and you can watch a lot of this. I got a a lot of my sources are from, you know, news articles, um, uh, news reports uh, and also court TV footage. And so I watched her testimony and she sort of it's interesting because there's there's a bit of like a know it all quality about her, perhaps because she's a writer, a novelist. But she's very calm. And she was like, no, I bought this for research. I would never do this to Dan and, da, 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 and just very like, 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 like you and I were just like, come on, lady, come on. Yeah. But, I just like if something that like that happened to God forbid my husband, I would just be inconsolable, like not OK. Couldn't I wouldn't be like, like I calm. wouldn't be OK. I love I do love him. Like I, you know. I don't like to admit that because then I feel like he can, you know, has power over me. But like he, I do love him. Fine. There. I said it. Happy everyone. <laughs> and you wouldn't be, if anything, you would probably be um, on, you know, you'd be like, are you kidding me? I love my husband. Like you'd be upset. The accusation of them accusing you. She was very calm. Again, you can't always tell what people have done by their reaction. We're all different. Human beings are very unique, each and every one yes. of us. So, but this is very interesting. I I encourage you guys to go and check out any kind of footage. You can find it on YouTube. Just put in her name, Nancy Brophy. But, uh, but yeah, it all sounds suspect and unbelievable. Mm. And it sounds that way to us, and it sounded that way to the jury because on May twenty fifth, two thousand twenty two, after seven weeks of a trial, the jury okay. unanimously found her guilty of second degree murder, which I find interesting that it was second degree murder because this definitely sounds like it was planned, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Now, in June, the following month, um, Dan's, uh, Nancy was sentenced and Dan's loved ones got to speak. His grieving son, remember he has a son, Nathaniel. Oh, right. He said in a statement, quote to Nancy, you are a monster. You opted to lie, steal, cheat. You ultimately killed the man that was, for some reason, still unbeknownst to me, your biggest fan. You executed my father in an act of cold-blooded 
a premeditated murder. The man did everything for you, end quote. Oof. I mean. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. What he said. Um, yeah. Now, the judge sentenced her, uh, she, was 20, she was 72 at the time, to life in prison and told her that she would be eligible for parole in 25 years. So she's currently serving her sentence at the Coffee Creek Correctional Facility in Wilsonville, Oregon. Okay. Now, while she would insist that her piece about killing your husband, how to get away with murder, was <laughs> simply a <laughs> make-believe, her about section on her website suggested otherwise. Quote, writers are liars, she said. I don't remember who said that, but it's not true. In writing fiction, you dig deep and unearth portions of your life that you've long forgotten or buried deep. End quote. Now, as you can imagine, this is an unbelievable story. Yeah. So, of course, Lifetime is coming a calling and okay. they created a movie starring Sybil uh, Shepherd. Yes. Called oh, yes. Oh. How to Murder Your Husband, semicolon, the Nancy Brophy story. So. I'm ready to watch it. So I'm ready this, to watch it now. Now, I heard, now, don't get her mixed up with the younger woman who recently also got arrested for murdering her husband. Oh, my God. You guys stop murdering your husbands. I, Just, so, because at first I was like, what about, what, I was like, that, what would be good for this week? And so I put in that, like, that search, author. Yes. Murder's husband. I got so many hits. I got so Damn. many hits. But this wow. one I remember in particular because everyone was so in disbelief that she was is like a middle aged older woman, and by all accounts, yeah. her husband was not abusive. He's a very kind hearted, uh, kind hearted, loving man. Uh, you know, it's. I just I don't understand. Is it is it like? Was it a sociopath or or psychopath? Yeah. Like I don't know the difference. Narcissistic but like, sociopath. Though some of those words put together, personality like, disorder. I don't. Yeah. I mean, we've all Not been mad at people. Doctor, I've, but I know, like, we've all been mad at our partners where you're like, I want to kill that motherfucker. But like, you don't uh, actually want to kill them. You and know? also, you don't go. You don't buy a ghost gun. No. No, and then do you that. don't go and get a Glock. Yeah. Also, you don't no. plan it. Like, you don't. After this man, you know what I think? I think what happened is that she had given up. She had worked in jobs that she hated, which, you know, creative people can relate to for a long time. She finally made the move to writing for a living and was doing well at first. But then maybe the money dried up and it got more difficult. And she didn't want to go back to the regular workforce, yeah. which I get. It's yeah. hard to go back. And sure, so just fact, kill your husband and then you'll get money. That's good. Yeah. Option B. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing, because allegedly, even though they were uh, struggling with, um, you know, credit card debt, which they probably got because, you know, her books weren't making money anymore and she needed to buy, you know, because he's been working at this yeah. job forever. So, you know how much he's making. Right. So. Right. The fact that he took out half of his retirement amount, which at their age, that's a gamble of 35000 Yeah. And you repay him by now, allegedly they were having financial troubles, but she kept up the payments on that life insurance policy. Oh, shit. So and yeah, again, just sell the house, 
you know. I was just going to say, sell the house, get a small apartment. Get a condo. Pay it off. Yeah. You get a condo. It, a nice condo. A nice <laughs> condo. you still pay off your bills. And, but I would imagine that, I don't know for sure, but it just, watching her in her, um, her testimony, it's, and after his son's statement, it makes me think that he adored his wife. He supported her and he was like, well, this is what we got to do. And she repaid him by killing him for the life insurance policy. Like this is, I mean. Again, I mean, we can't even say allegedly because she was convicted of killing him. Yeah, I don't think we have to. She's convicted. But it's so it's so weird. And when you see but, her, she looks like she could be your teacher. You're like your favorite teacher from high school. That's who was so already kind of old to you then. And then you look back. Imagine if like your teacher, like your history teacher or your right, your English teacher killed her husband. You would just be like, yeah, I what? can't do that. Yeah. It's, like it's shocking. Crazy. But also, like, she thought she would have been good at it. She even wrote a whole article being like, this is how you do it. And then here she is, caught. That part. Unanimously that convicted. Part. Also, I'm thinking, like, I mean, I know you don't hire somebody because you don't want to have somebody that you might have to bump off. But, like, don't you think they have surveillance cameras in the area? Like, you you didn't even rent a different car. At like you college? Just- yeah, like, and also if you if you are an expert and you know police procedure, you know that they always look at the partner. That's always the first That's suspect. That's the number one suspect. How many Murdoch mysteries do I need to watch? So many is the answer, by the way, right? It's <laughs> always talk to the spouse first. Yeah, I'm on I season mean, 10. It's a problem. Go on. Sorry. That's Law and Order 101, baby. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You've seen 20 seasons of that. Like, and she doesn't, I think I was, I was just so blown away by like how amateurish it was. Like, I mean, like you wrote the book on it, but like, did you? Well, you know what though? I hate to say this, but this is like mediocre white people nonsense because I feel like. (laughs) Go on. I feel like. I mean, dumb criminals come in all ilks, but this is an author. This is like a woman. This is a woman has a degree. This is a um, a solidly middle class, uh, you know, college degreed woman. So she's thinking, I've been writing these books. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But like you said, she wrote an essay on how to murder your husband. And this is what she came up with. Like, I know. Listen, what? here's the thing, though. When you're like that level white suburban woman you are told that you go to college and then you'll get a job and then your career will grow and grow and grow and success is inevitable and i think she was like what the fuck actual life no thank you and then did what she had to do that's what i think yeah it's just like i mean the essay, How to Murder Your Husband, is from back in 2011. So has she been thinking about seven years, how to murder her husband? I mean, allegedly, yes. You know, like. Like, and that, again, that's what she came up with. Like, I'm going to just buy like a ghost gun and like a Glock and they can trace it back to me. And you know, I'm going to drive around the school. I will say this. You've dealt with people who are like clearly narcissists, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all have. 
one of the things they all have in common is that they're very, very charming. They're very charming. So she probably had her husband eating out of the palm of her hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? I when you watch her, you're like, yeah, this woman's not charming. But that's even sadder because he loved her. Anyway, yeah, but obviously she knew he loved how her. to do what yeah. she needed to do for him to get him. Yeah. You know, like maybe he didn't want to take out half his retirement at the age of sixty-eight. Yeah, right. Yeah, she, they did. He did. You know, I'm just throwing that out there. Probably well, it was her he, idea. No, it definitely was her idea. He's probably thinking, well, this is what you do with your family. That's what it's there for. Like, you know, I'll just work a little bit longer into retirement and we'll make it up. Like, that's probably what he's thinking. Like, who knows? Who knows? We don't know. You know why? Because poor Dan is not here to tell us because this bitch was convicted of killing her husband. Like, so, I mean, this Damn, is crazy. This story, girl. Like, I know. I mean, that's my notorious woman, Nancy (laughs) Brophy. Like, normally I'm like, I like a murderess, but not this. I I hate it though when these, also, as a woman who's dated men, it is so hard to find a decent, kind man who would take out half of his retirement for you and then you repay him by killing him. Get the fuck out of here. Stop fucking it up for the rest of us, you know? Stop fucking it up for the rest of us. 25 years they were together. Damn. That is so fucked up. Talk about fucking notorious. Yeah, dude. Nancy Brophy, so. Okay. <laughs> so go and kiss your husband. I'm gonna. Your kids. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> and same to you, listeners. If you have, go and kiss your uh, significant other. Uh, hopefully they are nice to you. And if they're not, find someone who is. But Leave don't them. kill them. Yeah. Don't kill them. Don't kill them. But, you know. Walk yeah. away. You know. Walk away away i don't want we don't want to cover you on this podcast no try not to be that version (laughs) of notorious exactly well that wraps it up for another episode of notorious women podcast guys remember to follow us if you can not if you can't just do it do it Follow follow us on all the things on uh, Instagram, um, download and recommend our podcast to your friends. Please give us a five star review. Yes, that uh, helps get the word stars. out. Helps get the word out. And again, we always say don't just tell your friend about Notorious Women podcast, copy the link and then send yeah. it to your friend. Just whoosh. email it, text it, uh, send it by pigeon. Pigeon's uh, good. Yeah. Tweet it. Do what you got to do to get your friend to listen to it. I mean, that's all we're asking. Right? No big deal. That's all we're asking. Yeah. (laughs) And also, if you want to further support us uh, financially, you can become a patron uh, of Notorious Women on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Notorious Women. And Miriam, how else can they find Notorious Women? You guys, follow us on Instagram. It's so easy. Notorious Women Podcast. It's a fun, good time. Let me highly recommend. Also, you know, sometimes the people that we don't want find us there and then they argue us and then we argue back. So come join us. Right. And if it's too, you know, like we we watch it. We watch it for goodness. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we also have an email. So it's notoriouswmpod.com 
at gmail.com. So you can email us there. Any ideas, thoughts, reactions, extra things about women we've talked about. Uh, You can also DM us. Uh, Either way works. And that is that. And again, thank you for joining us every week. We really appreciate you guys. We love the support. We love you back. And we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.